Jesus, we're mindful that your disciples were fearful about your exit from this earth. But that you said it was to our advantage that you would go away because if you went away, you would send your spirit to be with us, to guide us, to comfort us, to quicken us, to convict us. And so, Lord, we relish in the beautiful reality this morning that your presence is here through your spirit and that these songs are not songs sung to tiles on a ceiling, but these are songs sung to your very presence in this room. Father, this morning we would pray this morning for each and every person in this room that we would have, if we do not already, a growing intimate relationship with you as the resurrected Jesus. Lord, for some of us that journey has taken on many years. And maybe these have been good days. Maybe these have been challenging days. Lord, for us as believers in you this morning, may we be able to find strength in you through your amazing grace through your peace that passes all understanding and through your steadfast love that pursues us daily. And Lord, if we're here this morning having never crossed a line of saving faith to be able to come into relationship with you as the resurrected Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just love on those individuals and that we would together be able to be a rich community loving one another and encouraging one another as we seek out what it's like to have a spiritual life in you. Lord, there's needs represented across this room. May those needs be touched by your ever-present spirit. Lord, may you strengthen us. May we look to you in these days and these hours knowing that we have a hope. We thank you for the intimacy that we know we have through this relationship in you. May you make our faith more tangible and real every day as we worship, serve you, and as we open our heart up to your word of instruction through your spirit into our life. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. eight years ago when my first daughter was about two years old my husband was away traveling and I decided to have some devotion time with the Lord and I was reading from Isaiah chapter 43 and I really felt like he highlighted verse 4 to me which says since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you I'd sell off the whole world to get you back trade the creation just for you And I felt like that night in devotions that he was really telling me, that verse is for you. I had kind of gone through a lot of change on the inside, but I didn't exactly know what it was. It was kind of strange as it was going on, but I knew God was doing a work. And I felt like during that time, he was saying, you're like a butterfly that's in its cocoon. And there's been all this change going on inside you. And I've been forming you and shaping you. And right now you're pressing out of the cocoon. And what I've done is going to be made known. And one of the other things that was continually prominent during that time was that every time I'd meet with the Lord, I always visualized it in this beautiful, safe garden. And it was me and the Father. And we'd walk around the garden, and we'd be there in that safe place with the roses. And it was just a place where we were constantly connecting 
Well, the morning after I um, got that verse, the scripture in Isaiah 4, I was actually playing the piano right around here. And um, my little daughter was about two, and she was just walking around, and she stumbled, and she fell, and she hit the coffee table. Not very hard, but enough to give her an owie, and she was crying. And I got up, and I ran over, and I picked her up, and I hugged her really tight. And I felt instantly like the Lord said, this is how I feel about you. This is my affection for you. And it just, like, wrapped me up in an embrace. I just felt so embraced by God, and I just felt like a little girl. Well, that morning... Um, I wanted to go out to the store and get a card because we had sponsored a couple of girls in Thailand and we've been sponsoring them for some years and it was their birthday and I like to send them stuff. So I packed up my girl and we went out to um, the postal store and I walked over to the cards that were on the section and I looked down and I saw this beautiful card with a picture of Jesus on it. And I went, oh, she's going to love this. And I opened it up, and there was a verse inside. And I thought, oh, perfect. I closed it back up, and I went, and I stood in line. And I was standing in line, and I was looking down at the card. And I looked at the picture, and it was a picture of Jesus in a garden holding a little girl that was about my daughter's age with brown hair. And he was in this garden, and he had his arms stretched out. And I looked at the end of his finger, and there was a butterfly on the end of his finger. And I went, oh, in a garden with a butterfly, little girl. And I went, oh my goodness. And I saw, there's a scripture on the inside. And I opened it up, and it said, Isaiah 43, 4, you are precious and honored in my sight. And I was like, wow, the Lord gave me a card. So about five years later, I was laying in bed, and I just thought to myself, I would love a large wall painting to put on my wall that I could look at and remember the picture the Lord gave me. But I hadn't said anything to anyone about this. It was just something that I said between me and the Lord. Well, about two or three days later, my husband comes walking in with this huge grin on his face, and he's got something behind him. And he pulls this picture out from me and he says, I got you something. He says, I was at the store and the artist was there, Greg Olson. And I walked around for two hours trying to decide what picture to get. And I knew we don't have a lot of money right now, but I just knew I was supposed to get you a picture. And this is the one I got you. And he had gotten precious in his sight. And it was the picture I'd asked for. Not only that, but Greg Olson signed it and he did this beautiful description and dedication to me on the back. I felt like God was sharing with me that he wanted to restore the hearts of his girls, the hearts of his women that are just so broken and so needing to be filled up with his affection and his love and to know that they're precious in his sight again. And so I wrote this song called Beautiful and it's all about how he's formed us and he's made us and when you look at creation you look at the beauty of the stars and the moon and the oceans and the jungle and the flowers that he looks at all the extravagance of that and when he looks at us in his creation we're the ones that he calls beautiful my best friend who was singing with me she is involved with an organization that rescues girls from the sex slave trade in Thailand and I knew immediately that this song was for them and that this verse was for them and that this 
picture was for them and for the Lord's girls and that he was tying all of this together. And so since writing this song and coming out with it, I've dedicated all of this song to the Lord's girls and to restoring girls and his women. And 100% of the proceeds that from the downloads of these songs go to um, organizations that help girls who are so caught up in the sex slave trade. Oh 
Thank you, Shay. Aren't you glad that we were not given a religion, but we were given a relationship? And um, that if we take the time, the Lord will endear himself to us more and more every day. For we are indeed precious in his sight, even if you feel like you're the ugliest sinner on earth this morning. You are precious in his sight. Thanks again. It's great to be able to join together in that beautiful time of worship and ministry. We kicked off a new series last week called Just Walk Across the Room. And I'm very grateful that you responded so well to it. And uh, actually, I've heard the phrase being kicked around a little bit already after one week. I just got to walk across the room. In fact, uh, Saturday morning, we had a circle of guys here for our men's group, and uh, we just walked around the circle talking about who walked across the room to influence us to consider having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I was to spend time here this morning, could you articulate a word of thanks to somebody who chose, who chose to leave their circle of comfort? And they walked across the room, across the neighborhood, across the street, I don't know, and they entered into the zone of the unknown. And they introduced you to the possibility of knowing Jesus Christ, not only as your Lord and Savior, but the one who would love you all the days of your life because indeed you're precious and beautiful in his sight. Just walk across the room. We're spending these weeks because I believe God's challenging and calling us afresh and anew to reach out to people who do not know him. But we're going to do it together as a team. Now, my Indianapolis Colts didn't do very well last Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And it had nothing to do with deflated footballs. We just did not play well. But I guess the Seahawks are in still, and I can't believe... They won that game still. And there's influence going on in this church. My son had a birthday Friday, and he got a Seahawks hat this morning. I just don't understand the pressure that's building. But I was thinking, you know, uh, when a football team huddles up, and there's, what, 53 players, some of you football guys know that, on the NFL team. And they're focused, and they're aligned well 
to play well, to play their parts. And I was thinking here this morning, we got more than 53 in this room. We got more than 53. We have more than 12 that Jesus had. We've got not only those of us who are here, but those who are not able to be here this morning and beyond, and even not just in this room, but every other church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. Would it not be possible for us to huddle up and get our act together as a team to reach this valley for Jesus Christ? But it will not happen unless we align ourselves, I believe, with God's blessing, and align ourselves with His Word and equip ourselves with the tools that He gives us as human beings and with one another in local bodies such as this. Because the adversary is at work as well. And he just wants to fan people to sleep because he hates people. I was in a situation this week, in a counseling situation, that had some pretty intense spiritual warfare to it again. I was with a 12-year-old girl. And um, she was adopted at birth, and she has great godly parents in her life. But I saw face on how the adversary wants to still kill and destroy young lives and old lives. And I was reminded that this is not child's play and this is not just some nice little series for us to do for a while. Lives are at stake. There's brokenness. There's woundedness. And we are the team that's being called together to engage a lost and dying world to bring them to Jesus. And there should be a sense of urgency about us, just as I would surely hope that both the Patriots and the Seahawks have a sense of urgency about the Super Bowl next week. And, and let's really align ourselves and get ourselves you know, in a situation where we can play our best and do our best. And so I'm sorry, if that, I don't know if the analogy works for you or not. And different weeks, different ways for me. But I just feel in like these weeks... I am a coach that's trying to get us to align ourselves to be people who are broken for lost people and people who are equipped to just walk across the rooms or step into someone's life and lead them to the opportunity to know Christ. And it doesn't mean you have to be some raving evangelist, some boisterous witness person. He uses each in our own unique personalities and styles. But we need to be at the business of the kingdom coming about in people's lives. And if we're not about that business, then I'm not quite sure why we really meet together. Because when God accepts our worship and praise, he expects us to be deployed as his people and his presence on this earth through the power of his spirit to do his bidding and his reckoning. That's why he said it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm sending my spirit because greater works than these shall you do when I go to the Father. What do you mean greater works than these? Jesus, you did miracles. You walked around. You healed people. You led people into a right understanding of God's kingdom. And the reason it's greater works than these is because we are multiplied in so many different directions. Places that we live, places that we work, avenues that we engage, social arenas we interact with, recreation that we take on. And greater works than one single individual walking on this earth happen through us as we take walks into every avenue and dimension of life. And Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, through His Spirit, interceding for us, whispering His promptings, is telling us day in and day out, 
who his heart's broken for, and the need for us to just take those simple walks across rooms. We mentioned this last week as sort of the initiative of what we're doing. We said it's the single greatest gift that you can give to someone. The single greatest gift Christ followers can give to people around them is to introduce them to the resurrected Jesus. Not some dead, lethargic, legalistic faith. The resurrected Jesus is who we're introducing people to. The God who created them loves them and has a purpose for their life. This is what evangelism is constantly is. It's constantly watching for ways to give the gift of Christ and his grace to someone living indifferent and far from God. And so we took these three items last week and we said, you need to look, listen, and leave. You need to look. Be willing to enter the zone of the unknown. You don't know what it's going to mean to step into someone's life, whether that's just through serving them, getting to know them, or maybe starting to talk some words about what God's done in your life. That's a risk. But we need to look to be willing to leave and enter the zone of the unknown, but we have to then listen to catch the Spirit's promptings, and then we have to take the step, actually leave, and just walk. Friday was um, our son Levi's 16th birthday. Hard to believe that that little boy is 16 years old when he came into the world. We were loving him, but man, we were taken back when we found out he had Down syndrome and all the change that comes with that. I never realized that the moment that our child Levi Tate Bowman was born on January 23rd of that year of 1999, that I was not only receiving a child of special needs into my life, but Melissa and I were being introduced to a whole community of people who have special needs kids. And Friday, Levi, it's a pretty big deal. His birthday is 16. That's even bigger, right? So we had a party for Levi at our house. And we invited six, seven, I believe, of his friends from high school. And we have never really met these friends before. Having been here now for a year, we're just getting acclimated in different social and community arenas. But we were excited. We found the names. And the teacher was a great godly Christian uh, lady. And uh, she actually used to be connected with uh, the body here. And uh, so we talked to Mrs. Salazar. And we said, you know, who would be good for Levi to invite his party? We got the list. And some of the parents wanted to come. And, and some of the, the teacher aides wanted to come and that kind of thing. So we're all, we're all waiting for this party to happen, right? And I'm knowing, I'm knowing when this party's happening that this is another, another call in my life in this valley to leave a circle of comfort and to walk into the zone of the unknown and start to not only just get to know some people I do not know, but to love some people that, I'll be real with you, Before Levi was born, I would have never thought about loving. There was one boy there. His name was Ryan. and He was probably 16, 17 too. It was the first birthday party or any party that he'd ever been invited to his whole life. And so 
these special needs kids came in and their mom and their dads, some of them, and someone just dropped them off and the teacher's aides. But I reckoned with that on Friday that I needed to take some steps out of my circle of comfort and get to know not only the kids, his peers, but to get to know some of the parents and even grandparents. Why? Because they're a project? No. Because they're just like Melissa and I. They live in a world of lostness and brokenness, sometimes with their kids, that they need support and even encouragement. And they need to be loved on as well. But friends, it takes sacrifice of our time and our life to walk into people's lives. But that's what Jesus calls us to do, to look, listen, and leave. And so in order for us to just walk across and enter this zone of the unknown, I want to just challenge us today briefly that we need to be living a certain way. And I'll just simply title it the same way that the author who framed this up in his book, uh, Just Walk Across the Room, Bill Hybels does. We need to have 3D living. And here's the Ds. The first one is to develop friendships. By engaging in the lives of people around you. We have to specifically and particularly and strategically order our lives to build friendships that we currently do not have. This is what happens in our Christian lives a lot. God comes into our life. He changes our life. He changes our trajectory. He gives us love and affection, and and we grow in this relationship with him. And, and man, we we get adopted into a new community of people who are believers, and, and we start to find richness in that. We really do. He redeems us. In fact, there's a theological term in church growth circles a number of years ago called redemption and lift. You are redeemed, and God pulls you up out of the muck and the miry clay, as, as sometimes, and he sets you on solid ground. He gives you a heart that you've never had before. You align your life and start living in some good, healthy, disciplined ways you never did before because of him. You interact with other people, and he lifts you into a new level of freedom and joy and living and community. And that's great. That's what we're about. But something strange happens along that lifting process. Sometimes we forget and leave behind those who we once were with. Now, sometimes that's needed because of being able to to leave an influence, and I understand that. But many times we end up becoming what's often referred to as foxhole Christian or cocooning Christians. Here's a graph. Years walking with Christ. Interaction with people far from God. In your first year of walking with Christ, you have high interaction, encounters, connections with people who are far from God. But then look what happens with this chart. Year two, it drops suddenly. And three and four, it keeps going down the slide until by year eight on this particular chart of this particular study, it says eight years out as a Christian, guess what? All your friends are pretty much Christian. Yeah, there's the guy or the gal at work and some other people, but they're just in your peripheral. You put up with them. You wouldn't describe them as friends. And so what we have to do, if we're a follower of Christ this morning, is we have to react towards that inertia that takes us away from those who need 
to be in proximity to the presence of Christ through our lives and through the community that we richly enjoy. So, 3D living requires us to build friendships because left to ourselves, we will migrate to comfortable places. I don't know about you. I, there's been times, and some of you live in these environments, you, you just get a little weary of, of the language and the stories and the jokes and the attitudes and the pursuits that people are on. And so you're just like, ah. it's not that you have a cringe factor anymore. You just sort of want to, you just don't want to be a part of that. But those people matter to God. And they ought to matter to us. The reason we're in that circle of comfort is because of what God's done in our life. But there's people still left around us in the zone of the unknown that need to come into his saving and transforming power and grace. And so we have to choose to push back in this and be in constant search mode. Really, Carrie? Oh, I have so much energy in my life. Are you serious? You've got to tell me this. I've got to be in constant search mode. Well, I understand. They say that you can only be relationally invested in a certain number of people's lives because that we're built as humans. I understand that. But I'm not asking you to search out and take on the whole world. Even when we were at the birthday party Friday saying, God, there's maybe one or two adults here that we need to start connecting with. And sure enough, those emerged. My wife exchanged numbers with one. We're going to get our kids and another. And it's like, okay. So the search, it's sort of like you computer people, you know, when you have Bluetooth, right, and you want to hook up a Bluetooth device, and you sort of hit search, and it's searching out here, trying to find where all the Bluetooth connections at within my radar range, right? Hit search mode in prayer before God. What are some friendships you need to develop? The second thing after... Friendship, develop friendships I want to talk about in a second. But I want us to just look briefly at a passage of Scripture where we see the heart of Jesus in search mode. In Luke 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you picture this room setting? I mean, these are the people that you probably really don't want to be around a lot of times. I mean, they, uh, you know, they, they talk in ways you are not comfortable talking. They drink a little bit too much. They sleep in the wrong bed. They've cheated uh, a lot of people on money here or there. And you're just like, let's not be around. And Jesus walks into this room, and he's talking with them. He's probably laughing with them, engaging. And the religious elite, the religious heat are there observing, and they're like, what is he doing? How despicable is that? They were religious, godly people. And they had come to maybe operate in this understanding that God has a love for a certain kind of people. And God has a hatred or demise towards another group of people. And so it's okay to have this love for a certain kind of people and a hatred towards another kind of people. And here's Jesus who's claiming to be who he was, he walks right into this room and he sits down with the people that you're supposed to hate and not like. That bothered them. In fact, it bothered them so much that he ended up getting put on the crucified list. Because you don't do that. We're nice, clean folks. We're good folks. 
we walk in the ways we should walk. But Jesus was hanging out with the riffraff. And he was modeling what all of us were to do. And then we have this trifecta of parables. Many of you know these parables, these trifecta of parables of the parable of the sheep, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. He just goes, boom, boom, boom. You, you want to know how to live? You want to know what the heart of God is? Boom, boom, boom. There's a hundred sheep, but one gets lost. And the shepherd does what? He has a heart that's missing that lost sheep. And so he pursues that lost sheep. And it says this in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent in reference to finding that lost sheep. Then there was a lady who had 10 coins, her whole estate, 10 coins. She lost 10% of her estate, and she looks frantically for the lost coin. Why? Because it matters to her, that lost coin does. And it says this in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The analogy, I found my coin. I found the one who was lost. And then the parable of the lost son who wanted his inheritance and took off with it and had wine, women, and song. But then he came back in a humble measure to his father. Verse 31 of Luke 15, My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So here's Jesus with a religious heat standing in a church service. And he says, excuse me, I'm going to go over with the riffraff with the people that are far from God, the people that people don't want to associate with, the people that are just a little awkward, and I'm going to hang with them. Pow, pow, pow. Three straight analogies and stories that in the heart of God, the one who is lost and far from God is what matters most. Well, wait a second here. We just had great worship singing about his precious love for us and beautifulness. That's right. It's not a comparison kind of thing. But when it goes about the limited years we have here on earth until Jesus comes back again, due diligence would tell us we need to be about the people who are lost. We have all eternity to hang together with like-mindedness and kindred hearts. But this is the day of salvation, Scripture teaches, and we need to be about that business. Whether here, in our neighborhood, in the state, and abroad, it doesn't matter overseas. God wants us to be about seeking and saving the lost. In fact, we referenced it in our men's circle a little bit Saturday morning. And, man, if you weren't here, come on, 7 a.m., show up. You're not doing anything then but sleeping. Get here. And so, so, so we were, because what we decided to do is we're just going to stay in this whole walk across the room series and talk about how it plays out in our lives and how we can sharpen ourselves. So that's where we're headed on Saturday mornings, 7 a.m. Did you get that, 7 a.m.? All right. And so don't forget the donuts. I, somebody has to bring the donuts for you. I had really great donuts today, this week. Anyway, what uh, happens is that we have to um, dial in to the reality, all right, that God's heart is after the lost people. And we spoke the story of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? 
The wee little man went up in the tree, right? He's looking for Jesus, and Jesus says to him, what? You can see this in Luke 19. Zacchaeus, come down for I'm what? Going to your house today. Where's my Sunday school people at from old, right? And he went and wined and dined with a tax collector who was seen as evil, right? To other people. And then it says this. It says this in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So, bam, bam, bam. And then a few moments later, they see him actually putting into practice that which he gave the stories and parables about. His life was about reaching those who were far off. Why? Because his job description was given from the Father to seek and to save that which was lost. So, just develop friendships. I'll leave it there. Now, the other two I'm just going to touch on, and then I want us to watch another video testimony this morning that I think gives us all encouragement to jump at it. Discover stories. Before sharing your own story and God's redemptive story, discover their stories. When you walk from that circle of comfort to the zone of the unknown, you're just getting to know their story. I'm going to hear about that in a second. So you don't have to get all wigged out that you've got to pull out, be able to go to Scripture and tell people right away. No, no. Just live and discover their stories. So develop friendships, discover stories. And I want to let you know on this discover stories, I don't have time to go into There's something called the Engel Scale of Evangelism that I came across. Well, it was actually 40 years ago. I think the guy, Mr. James Engel, came out with it. But it talks about people are on a spectrum. All right? A closer look at this says, you know, that people that um, there's awareness of a supreme being that might, is at a minus eight, and then you walk your way all the way through to some knowledge, and then a decision to act, and then repentance, then they cross the line of faith, and then even after we cross the line of faith, there's a growth portion that we continue to grow and become a Christian. So this angle scale of evangelism has always been put in my mind as a way to say, okay, where are people at on this scale? And so I have this diagram with a bunch of arrows. You need to know this when it comes to discovering people's stories. You may not be the person that leads them to faith in Christ. You may just be the person that loves them. In fact, this week we had, um, we had uh, someone over that we've been building a relationship with that I, I believe is not with God, not fully understanding the context of his life yet, and so he had dinner with us. And um, we, we just got to know him a little bit more. And um, afterwards, Melissa and I were talking because when we first were introduced to him, and it finds out what we do, right? It's always like, oh, I have pastor, okay. And so then everybody says, change, you know, and clean up their language or something. But um, his only comment was to us was, oh, church, I don't go to church. Church people have disappointed me. That's all we know. And all we needed to do around that table was just be normal. Do you know how to be normal, Christians? Just be normal. And discover people's stories. Just build friendships. And it may be with this particular individual, it's only that little short arrow. We're just taking them a few steps. I've picked up people that other people have invested in, and I've been able to take them other steps. And then some people have had the joy to be able to cross the line and actually pray with them a prayer of faith for them to commit their life to Christ. When you're discovering people's stories, you're just, where am I at on this continuum? Because it's not your work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You're participating in what he's doing. So just dial in, all right? Get you on search mode. Figure this out. And as soon as you, oh, here's a person who's like, oh, I can get them to church. I'm going to get them saved. No. Just don't be weird. Be normal. And share out of your life. All right? And get to know them. Don't talk about yourself. Get to know their story. And there will be opportune time for it to unfold, as we're going to see here in a second.
And then the last D of the 3D living is just simply <clears throat> discern next steps by following the Holy Spirit's direction. 3D living, develop friendships, discover stories, discern next steps. And the verse I'm calling us out to probably every week is this one from John 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the resurrected Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord's work. Here's another testimony of Bill Hybels, God using his life. It's a long testimony, but engage with how God used his life to be able to lead another person to a redemptive faith. When I was just a little kid, my father introduced me to sailing and sailboat racing. And uh, I mean, immediately from the first time I was on a race boat, I mean, it was like an adrenaline rush. And I I wanted to do it more and more and more. And uh, most of my junior high and senior high years in the summer, uh, I was on that boat. When I'm on a boat and uh, feel the motion and the breeze, and then you mix in some good friendships, Uh, with that equation and for me that's as good as it gets. About 15 years into the development of Willow Creek I realized that I needed to do a little replenishing and recalibrating in the summertime uh, due to some of the pressures of church work and uh, we rented a little cottage here in South Haven, Michigan and I guess originally I thought, well, this is where I won't be known as a Christian and as a Christian leader, and I can just fly beneath the radar and and stay real low-key here. But what I was not anticipating was getting into sailboat racing and developing an entire network of relationships that uh, were not church-focused. These are people who would never really be able to attend our church because of the three-hour time distance yet I could see God starting to stir and work in some of the the lives of the people that I befriended and raced sailboats with in the town here. I'm just one of the guys who, you know, has found faith and uh, try to spread that as naturally as possible in just normal recreational contexts. Well, I was involved in a sailing team uh, here in South Haven uh, for quite a number of years, uh, guys that I've sailed with competitively for, for quite some time. And um, all of a sudden I got a phone call out of the blue from Tommy saying that we were not going to sail our regular program and that we were going to sail with his pastor from Chicago. And um, I just about hit the floor. I kind of had made a comment to Tommy that I said, why would we be doing that? I, I, I can't believe that we'd be, we'd be changing programs and, and felt at that time that the fund meter was really going to go from like 11 to 2. I remember the first time we went out to practice with this new sailing team and I was uh, being introduced to each of the guys. When I got to Dave Wright, they called him Super or sometimes they'd call him Soup. And I thought it was a little strange until I discovered over the next few weeks he was just a super guy. 
when I first met Bill, I was really quite suspicious of, of what that relationship was going to be like. And I, I think I moved in a direction of um, kind of observation, uh, kind of very standoffish. Sort of the ringleader of this sailing crew that was formed around uh, this bracing program that I put together it was a guy named Tommy. Wildest guy on the crew, full of life and energy. And uh, shortly after our time of sailing together, shortly, I mean, uh, maybe a season or two, Tommy got very interested in spiritual things and wound up uh, really starting to read his Bible and uh, doing some real spiritual seeking. And this freaked Dave Wright out. I mean, he was a close friend. And, uh, you know, we spent a little time getting in trouble. Um, and so... When he entered into a relationship with Bill, I was really concerned about our friendship changing and um, was quite angry at times uh, about that. I'll never forget the time when, after one of our uh, sailing regattas, where Tom had started to open up to the other guys that he was actually considering Christianity, uh, Super Dave took me off to the side and said, I want you to stop messing with Tommy's mind about this God stuff. You know, it was, it was uh, customary for Tommy in the wintertime to, um, to take a little bit of time off. And Bill had uh, asked him to take a team of folks from Willow Creek down to the British Virgin Islands to do a team building experience. Well, he was doing this now for about a month and um, was coming back home and uh, met him on the jetway. And uh, as we were coming down the ramp, he said, well, you're not going to believe what I did this week. And I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, I became a Christian. And I, I just thought at that time that aliens had just taken my best friend. And he thought Tom was going to wind up just really off the deep end. And I was not that concerned because I saw the new work of Christ in Tom's life. Well, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. I did spend a little bit of time there as a child and uh, kind of rebelled against that experience. I found it to be quite boring. And then I had uh, two other experiences as a teenager. These experiences really got quite strange. I had people putting their hands on me and praying for me, and it was just really uh, quite uh, uncomfortable. I could tell that Dave was uh, suspicious because I was a pastor. He had never really known a Christian well at that point in his life. I did come to Christ uh, uh, before my husband did, and it was very important to me that, that he come to Christ. I never thought I'd get married. I, I wanted to do life together in entirety with David. And so what did that mean? That if he didn't have a relationship with Christ, this was all going to fall apart. And it was hard to watch David struggle with... Uh, understanding what a relationship with Christ was and understanding what it meant to be a Christian when y you, people would push things at him. I saw something so uh, valuable inside Dave and uh, I remember just saying to myself this is going to be a long slow walk. He's got to see a Christian kind of walk the walk. I, n I never put a time span on it. I just said, this is a guy I'd like to be friends with and let God do whatever God's going to do. I really wanted to make sure that it was God doing the work and uh, me riding in the second position. Before uh, regatta, I was preparing my little area on the sailboat, and Bill would come up and just 
asked me how my week had gone, how Beth was, maybe what had gone on at work. I mean, the conversations never really moved uh, towards faith or Christianity. And it, again, it was just so refreshing uh, to me that he was concerned about me as an individual and what was going on in my life. I think really trying to point someone in the direction of faith is usually the summation of a lot of little inputs along the way. I don't think it's the big three-hour talk where you start with creation and end at the end of the Bible. I, I don't think it's a great big theological brain dump all at once. I remember um, Bill giving me a copy of Case for Christ before it was uh, ever even in print. And so in my travels around the country, um, you know, on airplanes, I would pull that out and uh, read a few pages. And I really needed that because I was so inquisitive about the science part of it. Uh, I prayed for him constantly. Constantly. Uh, I asked other people to pray for him. Uh, I left books around. I joined a Bible study. He'd, he'd ask me questions about what happened at the Bible study. And I'd get sneaky about it. You know, if you're, if you're curious, why don't you come? After a, a regatta, I'd say, uh, Dave, I'm going to pray for you every day this week, that you'll have a great week, that you'll be aware of, of this God who loves you. But it was just a series of these little seeds that were planted, inputs that were done, that I think started to gain some momentum over time. Well, there was a, a time Bill and I were having breakfast together in a small little restaurant, and he uh, uh, proceeded to draw out the bridge illustration and was just inquiring about where I was at. Was I way on the left side? Was I getting a little closer to accepting God in my life? And I, I said, Bill, geez, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm like in the next booth. I was only trying to ascertain where he was. Was he just ready to trust Christ or was he just a step or two behind where I thought he was? I drove away from the restaurant thinking, Man, I thought it'd take a little while, but uh, this, this might, I might be in for a decade here. He, he's a hard nut, uh, but he was honest, and that's what you always love about Dave. I'll never forget when Dave called me and said that his dad had suddenly died of a heart attack. And the timing of this uh, in Dave's own process was very worrisome to me because we had just been talking about the afterlife. We had been talking about the fact that real people spend eternity uh, with God or without Him. And that was hard for Dave to kind of comprehend uh, in and of itself. I remember my aunt um, asking whether my father had said some type of prayer in his life and that would indicate whether he was going to heaven or not. I remember being at my mother's house and uh, just sitting on the floor and being on the phone with Bill and just trying to process uh, some of these things. But when it came to whether or not his dad was going to wind up in heaven or not on the basis of his relationship with Christ and not just on the basis of was he a good guy, because he was a good guy, those were extremely sensitive conversations that, uh, that I think wound up being pivotal in Dave's process. At about the seven-year mark, I had become uh, such good friends with Dave, and our lives had intertwined around sailboat racing and friendship, and, and so I remember getting to a point where I said, I, 
I just can't imagine not being in heaven with this guy. And the thought was rolling around in my head. And as he was leaving our Christmas party one Christmas, the thought occurred to me, why don't I just tell him? He just looked at me and he said, Sue, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to eternity without you. You know, guys don't say those kinds of things to each other. It just came out of me and I was like, well, that's how I feel. See ya. I got in the car and I, I told Beth, I said, you're not going to believe what Bill just said to me. Um, and it just came from a, um, a place of genuine friendship and love. I mean, that just really made an impact. I mean, I thought about that a lot over the next year. I remember the, um, the Christmas Eve service uh, where I had dedicated my life to Christ and, and I just finally had decided that it was not worth kind of fighting it anymore. Uh, I was just sitting there listening to some worship. Um, I had all my questions answered and I just really felt it was time for me to say yes. And uh, Dave turns to me just as I'm helping he and his wife Beth with their coats and says, oh, by the way, I'm good to go. And I looked at him. I thought, what do you mean you're good to go? Are you going home? Are you going to a hotel? Or, uh, I don't even understand what you're saying. And he had a little twinkle in his eye, and he says, like, I'm good to go, man. you, you got to understand. And then he kind of came out with it and said, I trusted Christ tonight in the service. And I, re I remember what I said to him. I said, no way. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. And he said, I thought you'd be happy. And uh, I said, well, it, it's going to take me just a little while to uh, digest that. And he said, well, you know, love you and give a hug. And then I don't think he had told his wife yet. He was going to tell her in the car on the drive home. But I remember going into my kitchen and I got Lynn and my kids around me. And, you know, they've been praying for Dave for eight years. And I said, uh, Super told me he's good to go. They're like, what does that mean? I said, I didn't know either. And uh, I said, he trusted Christ tonight. And they all, it's like in a chorus, they were like, no way. I said, that's what I said, no way. Uh, and I called him the next morning and we talked about it and he was just as solid as a rock. He had, had had his questions answered, his heart was ready, he made the decision and he has never looked back. He has grown consistently month by month uh, since that day. You know, I remember um, the evening before I got baptized, um, I was kind of asking Bill about what I should expect that next day. And um, he looked at me and said, the only thing you need to know right now is the deeper the sin, the deeper the dunk. I stepped out in the water, and Bill, of course, gently grabbed me and proceeded to, like, dunk me so deep, my head hit the bottom of the lake, my tennis shoes came out of the water. We laugh about it till this day, but there's deep symbolic importance to it as well. I mean, Dave came from a pretty colorful past, and the, I really wanted him to feel that he had been cleansed from head to toe. I wanted him to, to feel that complete sense of being washed through what Christ did. And uh, when he came out of the water and threw his arms up in the air, that was pretty cool.
And so to this day, anytime I'm around Bill, I have a life jacket on if there's water close by. It doesn't get any better than that. God using your life to bring transformation eternally into another person's life. I invite us afresh and anew as a body of people called the awakening to bring an awakening to some friend, some soon-to-be friend in your life. I encourage you to develop friendships to discover stories, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, just discern next steps. Some of you are working on somebody and been praying for somebody, and you're a decade in. My prayer is that you would discern next steps. Don't ever give up. Continue to pray for them. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's offering just a straight-on word to them. Maybe it's just continuing to serve them. Maybe going out and doing some recreational fun again. God's business. You're participating with him. You're not a success or a failure when it comes to evangelism based upon people crossing the line of faith or not. We're held accountable to be faithful in our witness. We're held accountable not to hide the light underneath a bushel basket, but to shine the light. And this week, again, We will leave these doors and we will head back out into our mission field that God has blessed us with. And some of you are in places that a preacher could never get to. Some of you are in places that no one else in this room could ever get to. Or maybe even in this valley. But God has placed you there. And he's got you there for a purpose and a reason. And it's not just to earn a paycheck. It's not just to pass time or to build your portfolio. You're there to bring about change in people's lives. So I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But I want to pray for you this week, myself included, as we're on mission. God, you know this very hour the people that are lost, that are far from you, maybe not in broken, destitute situations, but they're outside a relationship with you as the resurrected Lord and Savior. And you desire for them to be found. Lord, may we have diligence in our pursuit of you this week as it relates to being a witness for the kingdom of God. Lord, we are inspired and encouraged for a couple video testimonies here today. Lord, that we would be about loving you more and knowing our identity in you and then taking that identity that we have in you to someone who's never had that opportunity. So, Lord, continue to encourage us empower us and equip us as a body so that indeed we would see people become fully alive in you as we become fully alive to your mission. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ushers are going to come to receive your connection cards as well as the Lord's tithes and offerings this morning. Let's join together and sing before we close.